you know, this, what, what we're doing is the next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing a, a new series, and it's about the idea of family. And sometimes there's a gap between the idea of family and what's reality. I mean, you know, we have ideas. You know, when you watch, I mean, we used to watch Leave it to Beaver, like me, you know, black and white. And, you know, it was always, you know, the only guy you had to worry about was Eddie Haskell, okay? He was sneaky. But, you know, and it's like, but, you know, in this series, I want to talk about the most important issue in your life. And there's nothing more serious than family relationships. How many I'm talking about? I mean, you can't pick the family you were born into. Come on. I mean, some of us go, you know, I want to be married. I wish my mama was that nice rich lady on the corner, you know. And, and then you can't pick the family you were, you were born into, but you can pick the spiritual family that you walk with. And so, you know, some of you, you know, you might be in your second, your third marriage. Some of you are single. Some of you are divorced. You're single because of divorce. Some of us, uh, you're, you're raising blended family. I grew up in a family. It was his mind and then theirs, you know, his mind and our situation. And I know what that's like. It's just the dynamics of that and how you got to come again, come into all that stuff. And so, and some of you have already been, some of you have already raised kids and now you're raising other people, you know, your children's kids or your, I mean, America's so, you know, how many of you talking about? It's a lot different than when you look at Leave it to Beaver, you know? And so when we talk about family, it can be a little bit complicated. And see, I know this, but there, there, there are some things we all have in common. The first thing we all have in common is we don't, have, we don't get to choose the family we're going we're gonna to be a part of. You know, I, I mean, if I could do that, I would have gone, you know, Mom. And when my mom was mad at me, they had a lady that was real nice that lived across the street from me on Cactus Drive when I lived in Lake Charles. And I'd never forget, I thought, man, she's nice. She gives me candy, and she has sympathy for me. Now, how many of you have ever had that where you go, hey. I remember one time I was so mad at my mom, I, I packed my, my, my mom packed my bags for me. Okay? And then the second thing that we all have in common is no one that you're related to is smart as you are. How many of you agree with that? Okay, Jamie, all right, good. But see, the problem is when you read the Bible and you go through the Old Testament, sometimes it's almost impossible to find a good example of what a family is all about. You ever do that? Let me give you a few examples. You know, Adam and Eve got, got it going on, and they messed up in the garden. I mean, they messed up. I mean, you know, I mean, when they messed up, the man chooses the woman over God. Are you hearing me? And, and John Elridge says, ever since he chose woman over God, men have continually chosen women over serving God. And so we know that when Cain and Abel, that God came, he said, hey, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. Get a, get a hold of this before it gets a master of you. And we know that even in our own lives, when we open up an opportunity or door to the enemy, that the enemy will come in and take control. And what he is, it's like he'll come in there and he'll kind of mess with you and see if he can get a finger in your mouth, then one, then two, then three, and then he gets a whole handful and he can pull you wherever you go. And I think my African friend from Nigeria, he says, you know, when, God, when the devil puts his hand in your mouth, he says, you got to have teeth and bite his hand right off. And for all of us, that's what we need. God's looking, and what happened, he allowed spirit, he allowed listening to a lie like all of us do. Many times, how many know that we all deal with lies that come to our minds? That's where we go, you know, I don't want to live with her anymore. I'm out of here. I don't want to live with him. He's this. And, and you know, and it's, from, it's really about the heart. And we know what he does, that he, th- this guy, you know, we know that a couple of 
chapters later with Cain and Abel from Adam and Eve is that he, he takes his brother's life. We know that Abraham, I mean, think about it. I mean, it's getting so desperate. His wife actually gives him a maidservant to sleep with. You go, what? Absolutely. Her name's Hagar. And watch out if there's a Hagar coming your way. Run. But anyway, Sarah is very jealous at Hagar, but she put her in. She did this. And then and they have, and then what happens, you know, they have an Ishmael. And Ishmael, you know, is really the, if you look at the descendants, it's all the descendants are a part of, like Saudi Arabia, all, all, all in that area, Syria, all that. That's all descendants. And even if you look in the Bible prophecy, those descendants would be great. And God would use them. And so don't, I heard people say, you know, Ishmael, that's a, that's a bad race. Listen, there's no one bad. It's that I've just, I know this, that if you're a son of Ishmael, you can be blessed as well. Because when you come to know Jesus Christ and he changes your life, there's so many things that can take place. And we know there was Isaac, there was that conflict between Ishmael and Isaac, and they had to send Ishmael off with Hagar, but God took care of them. Then we know that, that Isaac loves Ray, uh, Rebecca, and, and they have twins, and there's Jacob and Esau. There's the, the, the house boy and the hunter, you know? I mean, the, the hairy guy with the smooth-skinned guy, you know? And he was in, we know what took place in that jealousy. How I many of you have grown up with brothers and sisters? There's never, never any jealousy in your life. House. How many of you raising children? There's never jealousy, is there? No. Okay, good. I'm, y'all pray for me. Pray for my family. But, stand, you know, and, and they're totally opposites. And then you look at Jacob. He has 12 sons. And, and then, you know, he has 12 sons. And he has one son named Joseph. And 10 of his brothers are against him. And they throw him in a pit. And you know the rest of the story. He ends up becoming the prime minister of, Israel, of uh, Egypt at one moment. And so we look at all that, and then I think about David, who loved God, who kills the giant. I mean, he's, he's the man. I mean, there, when, when I was a kid, you know, I mean, you just you look at pictures like that, and you go, yeah. I remember one of my, my second son, I was, I was teaching about David and Goliath, and I'm, I'm out coming in from work one day, and he's out there, and he, goes, and he used to stutter a little bit and, and when he was young, and when he'd get excited. And, and uh, so I'm going there, and he goes, hey, Daddy. And I go, hey, Andrew, what's up? And, I mean, he was young. And he goes, and he goes, goes, he goes I come in the name. And I, I, you know, and the God Almighty. And he chucks a rock. And he beams me right in the head. I'm like, oh, I mean, man, this, these Bible stories are getting a little too real, man. Because I wanted to kill him, all right? I mean, so. But think about that. I mean, and then, you know, you think about what he went through and all that happened. And, and, and then all of a sudden he has a son, Absalom, that tries to rebel against him and take over the kingdom. And he's dealing with family issues. This is a man after God's own heart. Then I think of Jesus. You think about this. His mom and dad take a trip and they go to this, this feast, this festival. Okay, we know what festivals are like in South Louisiana. Right? Come on now. Don't be acting all religious on me. All right? But they, they go to the festival, and guess what? They lose Jesus. They didn't even recognize they lost the Son of God for three days. I mean, they got some serious parental issues. Are you hearing me? 
I mean, isn't Jesus and his brothers and his sisters, they don't even believe that he's the son of God. But here there's nothing can create as much tension in your life and headache in your life than family disagreements. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I mean, you can have tension, but when you have disagreements, like when they're young and you think you're trying to potty train them, that's nothing. Let them get old and they have a better vocabulary than you, a little smarter than you, a little taller. Look, my wife and I have five sons and one daughter. And they're not all perfect. I'll just be honest with you on that one, okay? You can train them and everything, but they're all going to have decisions that they're all going to have to face. And we're going to talk about that. But I know as a father, when you have boys like that, we have a narrow hall in my house. And sometimes when they get older, they kind of like, they want to kind of bump shoulders with, you know what I'm saying? Kind of like, you know, oh, here comes dad. And I'm like, and so as dad, you just got to go boom before they do. And you go, all right, I'm the man. I don't care how small I am or whatever that I got the daddy factor on you. Anyway, and so, but I know this, it, it, can, it can be such a, a tension, it can be hard, but there's nothing can bring you more joy than when your family, when it works, and it's the right way. How many are you talking about? The same kid that can they say things or do things, you know, if they begin to turn and whatever it is, it can bring joy to your heart. That's something we have to work on, amen, all of us. Are y'all with me this morning? You see, but back in Jesus' time, there was a male-dominated society. And when they looked at women, they looked at them as a commodity. They would buy women. They would have, you know, certain things they would do. In fact, even in Israel today, they have nomads that live in Israel that they actually still barter for wives and stuff. I know a, a guy that went there with his wife and a group, and they wanted to go see how the tent people lived. And they went in there, and they, they wanted to see how the culture was and all that. And they had an Arab guy that was looking at one of these women he was actually a pastor's wife from minnesota and he offered to buy her for one camel and the tour guide's going no 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 he goes two he got up to 17 camels for this minnesota pastor's wife i mean think about it But see, he had to explain it. I mean, he didn't have time. But in his culture, listen to me, in his culture, there was nothing wrong with that. But see, here you live, here you have Jesus walking on the face of this, and he's dealing with a culture that is really against women, really against children. Are you hearing me? And see, what happens is many kids didn't get their, you know, many kids didn't even get their names sometimes. They were four or five because people would have multiple kids. You know, if you had six or seven kids, maybe two or three would live to be in adulthood. I mean, we don't we just don't realize how blessed we are in this country with medication and things that we have that we get to experience. How many ever had children that have been sick before? Yeah, nobody. Okay, man, y'all y'all pray for me, Lord. Where were y'all when I had cancer? No, thank you. But you know, the the thing is, is that. When I look at that, I think, wow. You know, and it's like even Jesus' ministry disciples, he had this, you know, they had the same view about kids and women as the rest of society did. But how do you know when Jesus comes on the scene, he kind of turns things around. He's pretty radical. He says stuff people don't like. You see, I know this is that Paul even talked about, he brought, he, he said, you know, when Paul began to re, uh, write the epistles, he began to have radical ideas 
and radical statements that was the heart of God concerning women and concerning children. That was not that people weren't used to. And see what happened is in Matthew 19 verse 14, and it says, Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these. Children are part of the kingdom of heaven. Just like you are. That's what he's saying. They're just like you. They're no le- they're not less. They're not more. They're the same. And see, Jesus put kids on equal platform with men. He did. And see, not only did he put them on even platform with men, but you know, you know, today there's a lot of there's a lot of parents who say, you know what? Don't talk to kids about God. Let them make up their own minds. Have you heard that before? Every day your kid is here living on earth. Let me just tell you something. They're bombarded by negative thoughts and dirty things. We don't live in a neutral world. Are you hearing me? There's an onslaught. There's an onslaught. Let me, let me, let me ask you, how many of you have had trials and tribulations, things you've had to battle this week? Okay. How many? Come on. I just want to see, all right. And then some of those things, let me just say this, some of us might not have passed the test. But one thing I've learned in Christianity is when I came to know the Lord and I repented, that doesn't mean I did it once. It means I continually do that in my life. That doesn't mean I stay there, but I I constantly have to go, God, how many of you have had to ask people to forgive you this week? Nobody. All right. There's a whole lot of forgiveness needs to happen after service today. Because the Holy Spirit's dealing with you. I know how he works. You see, there's no safe place where you can park your kid for 21 years and you're never going to be tempted by the devil. You can't send them to Christian school and think that they won't see things or they won't experience things. You can't, you can't well, I'm not going to let them play over here. I'm not going to let them spend the night. Let me tell you something. Your kids are going to be exposed to junk and stuff that you never even, uh, come on. I remember my son, my oldest son, Zach, when he was in fifth grade, and, we, and I had the sex talk with him. That's always fun. That was our first one. My wife and I were like, whoo, you know, we prayed really hard. I mean, we, we, I mean, we were speaking in tongues. May the Lord, God, fill us, touch us, help us. We're just young parents. And I remember when we started talking to him about it, and after we explained everything that we could for a fifth grade, he just went, oh, that's sick. He said, one day you'll be sick. But anyway, he has three children. He's only been married, what, not even four years, five years. All right, he has three kids. So he understands what we talked about. But I remember when he was in fifth grade, he was at uh, Broussard Middle School. And he came and he he came right after school. I remember, and he's always like that. He said, Dad, I got to talk to you. What happened? He said, well, there was a guy that kept trying to, get me to go at the playground, and he wanted to show me something. And I kept telling him no, and I just didn't feel like he wanted to show me something that was good. And he goes, oh, I go, well, what was it? He goes, well, Dad, he tried to show me, and I kept saying no, no. And then finally he opened a book, and it was pornography. And he had never seen that, never been around that. I've even told my wife, listen, if there's magazines that come to the house that have, like, whatever advertisement, chunk them. I know what I went through as a child. I remember me rummaging when I was like like uh, eight, nine years, ten years old. And I remember going, looking at my dad's sock drawer. You ever do that kind of stuff? You know, just exploring. And my dad had a deck of cards. 
And it was bare-breasted women on the deck of cards. And I, I took the cards and I said, I kind of like looking at these things. But it created something inside of me. Are you hearing me? It was something that wasn't right. And listen, I'm, the, the devil wasn't going, ah, I got him now. Because sometimes it's not the devil. Sometimes it's just us. That we like to see things or do things or watch things. It's just us. I'm in the right church. Your kids need to have a relationship with Jesus and they need to and you they need you to show them how to love him. You know, kids will ask you stuff. They'll ask you questions. I mean, we could probably go around this room and have some of the craziest questions that have ever been asked. You know, funny things, sad things. You go, where'd you hear that? You know, what is that? You know, and, and say, I know this is that you can try to do everything you can. And God's given us responsibility as parents. We should shield and encourage and help and share with our children and love them and at bed at night and hear what they have to say. My little girl comes and, you know, in the mornings, like this morning, I didn't even look at her yet. But she, her routine is kind of like what I do with Tracy, okay? I go to Tracy, I do I look all right? She goes, and, you know, she, you look good. And when she goes, oh, you look good, I'm going, yeah. But my little girl comes and she'll go, Daddy, and I know what she wants. I always tell her every morning, she does her little, she comes to me and she kind of just, you know what I do? Ah, baby, you look beautiful. You're awesome. I like that shiny stuff you put on those lips. Oh, what did you and Anna do? Because if Anna's at the house, they pull out every little girly thing they got. She had little sparkle things. They both have sparkles, all right? Whatever that is. I don't know. She smelled good. She had her little African thing I brought her from Africa around her neck. And you look wonderful. You know, there's so many things that we need to encourage our children by. You see, First Peter goes back and it just says this. Here's talking about women. We're talking about children and women. It says, First Peter 3, 7, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. In other words, look at me. He says this, you know your wife. You know what she needs. Treat her right. That's what he's saying. She's not, she's not worth 10 camels. She's not worth, a, you know what I mean, some property. She's your wife. I know, listen, if, if anybody could destroy my wife, it would be me. The Bible even tells me to be careful what I say because my words are like the washing. It cleanses her. My words cleanse her just like the blood of Jesus cleanses us. My words cleanse her. Baby, you look good. I've never told her she looked bad. She don't look bad. She looks, she's fine right now anyway. Just, you know, it's like I create things. I create her world. You know, and he just goes on to say, he says, she may be weaker than you are. That doesn't mean she's weaker intelligently, morally, or spiritually. Because she, let me just, can I make a confession right now? She's much smarter than me. Let's get that out in the open right now. Okay, if you don't know my wife, she got a gift of wisdom. 
And there's sometimes I don't like to admit that she's right. Sometimes she'll say things, even about our children or things that I, and I'm like, "Mm, no, I'm the man. That's it, it kind of rises up in you. But it's like I have to, I realize that God has given her to me as a gift to help complement me, that we work together when we work together as one. And so that's just a freebie for your notes. She, you may be weaker, but she, listen what he says, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Wow. Paul says she's your equal partner. Then say that you're above her or she's below you. He's saying you're equal. Well, what does that mean? I mean, I can't have her in the kitchen barefoot, chasing them children anymore. Listen, man, if you got that idea, you've come in the wrong church with the wrong people. Because the most important thing is the Bible says, you know, the Bible says, this is what it says in Ephesians. It says, husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, that he's willing to lay down his life. My question is, when is the last time, sir, that you died to yourself in order to bless your wife? I appreciate all those amens. Lord, I just I just feel them. I it's either darts or amens anyway. But he just said, treat her as you should as you should so. Your prayers will not be hindered. My actual, my wife, listen, my life is actually enhanced by my wife. Listen, she enhances me. She won't let me walk out the door if I look bad. Are you hearing me? It's like Jamie and I tell people this all the time. Don't ever, like, like when I have a nice shirt or something nice or shoes or something like that, and people give me a compliment. It's never the ones I pick. It's always the ones she picks. Not that I can't get dressed. I don't sit on my bed with my BBDs waiting for her to dress me in the morning. But the most important thing is that she just, she enhances my life. I wouldn't be who I am. I wouldn't be where I'm at without my wife. You see, this is what is the man is the leader, but of the union, the woman is a joint heir with the husband. And see, Jesus saying in God's kingdom, women are equal to men, equal value, spiritually equal to a man. But see, let me just tell you the fight that we have for our 21st century. And I saw it the other day. There's a lady that's part of the head of the women's, the feminine movement. It's nothing feminine about it. But anyway. And. She was quoting in Australia. She's from America. She said, listen, people are wondering about us trying to get equality in marriage. It's not about that at all. It's not about equality in marriage. We want to destroy the institution of marriage. When you think of all these things, we have 12 states that have legalized unions. And people, what do you have to say about that? Well, my opinion is, I may have some opinions, but I know what the Bible says. I mean, there's no fruit coming out of that. You can't have children on your own if you're that way. You, got, you can try to adopt them and all that stuff. That, that can happen. But there's no fruit produced. Anything healthy produces fruit. So anyway, so this morning, 
let me get right in the mess. I'm in the message, but I, let me get right in what I want to say. And I'm not going to be long. You know, sharp preacher, sharp message. You were wrong. But anyway. The first thing is the Apostle Paul taught four pillars that, have, that, that elevate the family. And the first pillar is this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Honor your father and your mother. First pillar. The second pillar is this. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Okay. Third, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And the fourth one is this. Fathers, don't provoke your children. And this goes into anger. Don't be so heavy-handed and, and crush your kids. Look, I know this. Let me just say this. It, it, and it's interesting that God didn't command that moms be that way. He said, mom's words weigh about 25 pounds. Hey! I know there's moments when, when like, something's happened or somebody's done something or, you know, and it's like my wife goes, hey! And everybody goes, oh. You know, the, the, the saying is, mom ain't happy. Nobody's happy. That's true. I mean, kids have come to me, I don't, hey, boy, don't you come down to me. I want to be nice to me. Don't you come over here. But see, what he's saying is this, is that, you know, dads don't realize this, but dad's words weigh about 500 pounds. Dads, we don't realize how powerful and effective our words really are. A lot of dads and husbands deal with their wives and their children with a little sensitivity. I remember I had a friend, stupid man, okay? Hopefully he's learned, but I remember he bought his wife for her birthday buns of steel. That is a stupid man. Come on, all the women said, because you're going to feel the, the punch of steel, you know what I mean? Somebody said something. I didn't hear it. I'm hard of hearing, so it's a good. But Jesus brought a whole new set of ideas when he came to earth. Jesus would say, the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God. Remember those quotes? This is the kingdom of God. He would say things. He reminded people that the way they were doing things was not really the way that the kingdom of God was run. It's not the way things happen in the kingdom. God's ideas are much higher. His standards are much greater than anything, any one of ours in any of our lives. Matthew, let me give you an example. Matthew uh, 5, 27, 28, he says, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. Okay? But I say to everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with, with her in his heart. Jesus made just made everyone in the crowd become an adulterer. See, they think, well, it's our. No, 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 wait, wait a minute. Let's go a little deeper. Let's go with the kingdom, how God sees things. Hello? Jesus raises a standard, but with this new standard, his, he introduces this. This is what he introduces, and aren't you glad for it? Grace. Grace is an incredible idea of forgiveness. I'm standing here because of the grace of God. 
over my life. You know, I've journeyed for the last two years with cancer. Many, some of you, many of you know, many of you prayed. And let me just give you a report. Right now, I'm six weeks out from the, I had, I had started out with colon cancer. They had to do surgery. Took 12 inches out of my colon. You know, that got, a year later, I went for a checkup, and they found that it, colon cancer had spread from my, my colon to my liver. I had three spots. When they went in there, did this, the liver section, there was only two. Praise God. I had to do chemotherapy, all that other stuff. And then then after that surgery, uh, a couple of like a month or so, to, so later, I had a hernia that developed. Like literally on this side, it would like poke out. I couldn't wear a seatbelt. It's like my skin was holding my guts. The inner part, my inside of my, where the cut was, the, the, because of chemo medicine, one of the side effects of this new chemo medicine that creates hernias. And so I had a hernia. I went to Africa like that. My doctor said, whatever you do, Baba, he said, if, if your guts start pulling out, just he told me, lay it on your back, put your feet up like this, stick them back in and wrap yourself tight. But don't let an African doctor touch you. <laughs> I'm like, praise God. <laughs> the day after Easter, I preached at our church Easter and the day after I went in for surgery, April 1st, we know what that is, April Fool's, it ain't, God ain't no fool. And so they had to go back in and put some mesh back there. They cut me on, I'm cut from here all the way over here, okay? Beautiful cut. It's a scar to remind me of God's grace over my body. And through all of that, I mean, six weeks ago, I mean, now I got the, I was wearing a girdle. Aren't you glad your, your, your pastor don't wear a girdle? But anyway, I got up at church the first Sunday. I preached after three weeks. I looked, showed everybody, look, if the feminine side comes out of me today, it's the girdle. Anyway. But I'm standing here because of the grace of God. You see, none of us have ever measured up to the ideas that, that, that Jesus taught. Can I just make that real plain to you? There's ideas and there's reality. You see, none of us have. Because of grace, we have this amazing forgiveness available to us. See, the aim of grace is not just to forgive your sin, but to help you overcome that sin. Can I say that again? Grace is not just to forgive you. It's to help you to be an overcomer, that you're more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens you. His grace is not only to forgive me, but it gave me a new desire to change. That means I'm going to rise up from this situation. I'm going to I'm going to overcome. I'm thankful for the grace that sustains us in our lives. I'm more thankful for the foundation that Jesus Christ establishes in each one of us when we say, God, have your way in my life and everything I deal with. I can stand on the foundation because, listen, when I found out I had cancer, I had to stand on the foundation. My faith had to become a reality. I know people that have fallen apart. I know that people, when they go through storms, it's not a matter if the storm's coming. You're either going in a storm, in a storm, coming out of a storm, ready for a new storm. Isn't that just hopeful? But the incredible thing is that if you have a foundation, and if you don't have a foundation, start digging deep till you find foundation and let God begin to build on that. And the place to be is in a church. 
with a, a, a spiritual family that will love you, help you, encourage you. And, and let me just say this. Yeah, let me tell you something. You've got a great pastor. He's the best looking pastor in all of Eunice. Listen, you put your pastor against any pastor here, he can outwork him, outpray him, outfaith him. I'm just telling you. But no running. He stands. When the devil comes, he stands. I'm telling you. But see, the incredible thing is, is that the idea is so far above the norm that, you know, when we, we, we realize this, man, I got to pursue. I want, I want God's grace, and you got to pursue it. It just doesn't come. Here's the big question. Are you willing to embrace the idea, knowing that you might not always live up to it? Are we going to abandon the idea and just say, well, I can't do all that because I know all my shortcomings. I have too many weaknesses in my life. You know, when I think about that, today in America, we have, we have people giving up on God ideas all the time. Think about it. They say, Let, let's just give up on marriage. No one can really be happy married, but uh, let's, just, you know, let's just call them shortcomings or normal. How many of you want a great marriage? Let me tell you something. You want to have a great marriage? The storms will come. Come up here, baby. Believe it or not, I don't know how you, I could do this, but sometimes I've been mad at her. Have you ever been mad at me? Yes, very. Good. <laughs> but I'm not right now. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Anyway. Open heaven coming. Anyway, but you know what? Let me just tell you something. We've been married 28 years. It'll be 29 years, April 4th, 1983. Okay, that's right. August. I knew. 84-84. That's all right. I make mistakes, but see, that's grace. She corrected me, and I'm like, mm, I'm not like that. Who are you, smarter than me? No, she knows the right date. But can I tell you something? There have been moments when we've walked through storms, either with ourselves. She stood by me in the middle of my storm and all the stuff that I've walked through for two years. And in fact, part of that, we had one of our children decide to want to live his own way and do other things that were contrary to what we taught them and believed for the last two years as well. And that's been hard. It's been difficult. But you know what? It's just brought us closer and said, we're going to trust God. We're going to fast. We're going to believe. We're going to pray. We're going to storm heaven. Thank you, baby. Give her a hand. Is it? You know, the most important. Can you open that for me, Melody? And the most important thing is, is that, is that I need a drink. Anyway, I can't open it one hand. I'm free. Just take that cap off. I'm gonna. But your life, if it's not filled with God, see, whatever you got in your life, when people bump into you, you have circumstances, it's going to come out of you. Are you hearing me? Don't need to bump into anybody in here. Because that's true. Whatever you got, like, hey, man, I didn't know you were up. Hey, you are up. I'm cleaning the carpet anyway. Christening going on. Because whatever's in you is coming out. And the storm will show it. Oh, just, I, you just like your daddy. Well, I'm not like my daddy. You're like your mama. 
Why don't we do this Jesus thing anyway? Better drink something before I spoil it all out. Anyway. People say, let's just give up on marriage. See, that's the world. Listen, I read yesterday. Think about it. We have all these states. We have two states in the last two weeks that have legalized gay marriage. They still haven't changed the standard of what we know we should live by. They haven't changed the standard with every heart. The Bible says the laws of God are written on every man and woman's hearts. Hello. I don't have to go and say that's wrong, but if you just look at nature, you look at things around you, it speaks. France, just this week, legalized gay marriage. I mean, we see it all around. We're being bombarded because it, that, what's happening, the world system is trying to destroy the institution of marriage. Another thing is you can't, you can't raise your kids to live honorably anymore. I mean, or respectfully, let's just stop trying. Hey, you leave a kid alone? We go, Why, what was wrong with that? What made that kid? There's choices in there. But a lot of things sometimes happen because of wounds. A couple weeks ago, God was just speaking to me, and I was convicted and about some things, and just me. God, and I, and I, and I woke up that day, and I, I went and met Pastor Todd that morning in Lake Charles, and I, I went to one of my son's house that lives in Lake Charles, and it was 12 o'clock. I knock on the door. No one comes. No one comes. So I'm writing a note. And all of a sudden, as I'm putting the note in the mailbox, he opens the door. His hair's all, yeah, what are you doing here? Well, I thought we could have lunch. It's Saturday morning. Okay, he wants to sleep in. All right, it's not regular work day. He works all week. He has a job. I said, yeah, I thought. And he said, yeah, let me get that thing. And he has stuff on his table and stuff he knows I don't do. And oh, Dad, don't want. Sorry about the beer cans and the, you know. And he's trying to move all that stuff around. I'm like, hey man, what? And I looked at him and I said, let's go eat. You know, let's go eat. Let's go eat. So we we go and he goes, Dad, I want to take you to this Lebanese place. Okay, so we go there. He's always wanting cool, like dining stuff and all that. So we get there, we talk, and just little stuff and about his future and things like that. And we come back to his apartment. And God just, we go sit back at his table and we're just talking. And I said, son, the real reason I didn't come here to eat lunch with you. I got out of my chair and I got on my knees. I said, son, and I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit came on. I just started crying. So, son, forgive me. Forgive me for my pride. Forgive me sometimes when I've been angry. Forgive me, and I just and I, and I couldn't, I couldn't control myself anymore. And I just started weeping and weeping, and and I kept asking for forgiveness. And he's like, he was like a little kid at that moment. Dad, get up! No, Dad, stop! Dad, don't! Dad. He said, Dad, you don't have to ask for forgiveness. 
There's nothing to forgive. But I know the one thing. What I cannot preach, I can do by repentance. And sometimes the heart of the people that you're trying to reach out to, your children or your mate, only happens when you come to that point where you have a brokenness over your life. And then he began to share with me, you know, Dad, he has Bible on the corner of, of his room, and he showed me, he said, Dad, I was sharing with my friend the other day, and I got this one guy, I bought him a Bible, and he, said, and he looked at me and said, Dad, don't give up on me. Because I know there's a destiny, a call of God over my life. You know that, Josh. You see, when we embrace the idea that we know we'll never fully live up, your experience and your tension, your idea becomes real. There's a tension. We love, sol- how many of you love solving problems? When you get a leak in your roof, you don't put buckets under it. Come on. I remember going to a house one time and, you know, they said, watch the sink. And you turn on the sink and, and they had a bucket under there. So everything, you know, they just splash on you. Because it was just like, I mean, you kind of look at it and you go, man, how'd you fix that thing? No, see, in our hearts, we want to fix stuff. I mean, come on. If things break in my house, because let me tell you something. I can deal with broken hearts and broken lives. But, man, if the roof breaks or, or the plumbing, I'm calling Jamie. I'm calling Denny. I'm calling someone else who knows how to do that kind of stuff. Because my wife, look, she'll just let me know. She goes, baby, you need to fix that. And I'm, I'm kind of, can I say, sometimes I just don't know how to do it. And sometimes I'm like, can I make a confession? It's an already confession. Sometimes I just like to procrastinate. Pastor Bubba. And for all the other men in the room, they said, all right. You got that poke from your wife. But see, what, what do you do when your family's not the idea of family? Things just, there's that gap between the idea and the real. It takes the grace of God to deal with it. And it's just like us, we fix it. And if you don't know how to fix it, like a leaking roof, you go ask people to help you. Help me fix this. And that's what we're in the business of. That's what Jesus is about, fixing people that have broken lives, leaking roofs. See, The thing in life, we need to let God fix things in our lives by his grace. See, back in the Old Testament, when when Jesus went down to Judea, uh, the Pharisees hit him up with a lot of questions. And they said, "Can, can, can a man divorce his wife? Herod is a king at this time, and... He killed John the Baptist because John the Baptist told him he was in sin because he left his wife. You understand? Because he he took his brother's wife. Now, the the Pharisees knew in all this. Because, see, in that time, listen, they had a Pharisee that was teaching during this moment when Jesus was around that you might not know about. But he says, if you want to divorce your wife because she's property and you can get rid of her, all you have to say is this. I divorce you. I divorce you. I divorce you. And it was final. But I love what Mark says. He says, Jesus responded, Mark 10, verse uh, 5 through 9. Jesus responded. He wrote, he said, he wrote this commandment. He's talking about Moses. He wrote this commandment 
only as a concession to your hard heart. Now, when I looked up that, that word hard heart, it was a certificate, but it's the same thing that happens when you harden your arteries or your arteries get hardened. If you don't know, like Joel, in our, in, it's you know, Pastor Josh's son. What's happening in his lungs, the reason they aren't working right is because the arteries in his lungs have hardened. They don't even know why. I mean, he's been at the world-renowned pulmonologist in Houston, Texas, Children's Hospital, and they can't even give a reason why. Born normal, beautiful. He's a spitting image of Lindsay in the boy version. Okay? Beautiful child. And you just go, what's up with this? And it's, what happens is because those are hardening, it affects his heart, and his heart got enlarged because it's overcompensating to try to get things. And, and that's what, but see, can I tell you something? That's what happens in people's lives when they harden their heart to the word of God. When they harden their, 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 their heart towards what God wants to do in your life. And he says this, but God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and his mother is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one since they are no longer two but one. Let no one split apart what God is joined together. He said Moses gave a certificate, but he's saying really it was a condition of your heart. You, you allowed the very things that brings function to your heart, your physical heart as well, your spiritual heart, to harden. Let me ask you a question. How many of you ever been hard towards people? Hard towards things, even hard towards God. Come on. Can I just raise my hand? I've been there. I didn't want to hear what God had to say. I didn't want to listen to the word of God. I didn't want anybody to preach to me. And that's what, you know, it's like the most important thing is I've realized is I've just created. See, can I tell you that, you know, we talk about divorce or things like that. That creates tension in this room because some of you come from that. Or some of you, you know, I could talk about different things and different things. There's tension in the room. Am I going to allow God to do what he wants to do in my life? Or am I going to continue to harden my heart towards the things that God wants, you know, to do? There's an idea and there's the real. Some of you have some deep regrets. I believe that. We do things because we want to sometimes. You can't blame the devil. You can't blame your circumstance, the way you were raised, your daddy's example. Sometimes we just do stuff because we want to. Thanks for all those amens. You can blame the devil, but you just want to do it. But see, let me just close with this. We talked about David earlier. Because God loved David, he confronts David. Remember, we know you know about Bathsheba. You know the story where... David's out, he he's, should be out on the battlefield, and he's hanging out, and he goes outside, and he sees this beautiful woman, and she's bathing herself, and she's undressed. And he's just like, instead of going, oh, wow, he goes, Meshach, holy. And even when he sent for her, his servant, this was, here's a clue. He said, your majesty, that's Uriah's wife. Hardened his heart. I want it. It don't matter. I want that. And you know the whole story, how he, he's with her, and then she conceives and gets pregnant. They send his, 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 uh, her husband back, Uriah, 
to, to the scene and he's trying to get him to go sleep with his wife Bathsheba so he can say they think it's his son. But the first night he doesn't go, he sleeps by David's door because he's one of David's mighty men. He's not even a Jewish man. He's a Hittite. They converted to Judaism. The next night he contrived, I'm going to get him drunk. He gets him drunk. Now he'll go be with his wife. He sleeps at the doorstep. The next day, he writes a letter to his chief, his general, Joab. And he writes in, in there and he says, look, when the battle gets heated and everything else, you put and you just draw back and yet Uriah, Uriah stay at the front of the lines. You just retreat. So he, imagine this, he brings his own death warrant in his own hands with a sealed letter from the king and doesn't even know he's given away his life. Reads it and the story, it happens just like the note said. David thinks he's scot-free. We know that that child is born and it dies. David stays up, he prays, fasts, everything. But you know, the cool thing is, the grace of God comes. And later Bathsheba has a son. His name is Solomon. And Jesus, you know, and then you think about Solomon. But the thing about it, Jesus comes through the lineage of David and Solomon. Even though David messed up, God didn't abandon him. Listen, even though you mess up, look at me. God didn't abandon you. I used to be around preachers. They could preach, you cigarette sucking sinner. You, you know, you never had a gay day in your life, you homosexual. I mean, I've had all those kind of things, been around people. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, just stupid stuff. That doesn't attract anybody to Jesus. I've been on campuses, I've preached open air at campuses, University of Texas, Wichita, I mean, just stuff. And I look back and go, what an idiot. Because discipleship is having, getting to know, first of all, I've got to connect to God first, then I need to connect to others. You see, God's grace covers the gap between the real and the ideal. But I've learned this. Listen to me. I'm going to close right here. There's four building blocks. If you want to have a relationship with God and other people, relation, write them down. I don't want you to forget. First thing is you got to trust somebody. You got to be willing. See, trust and truth are almost the same. Are you hearing me? They're almost spelled alike. I got to trust someone. But in order for me to trust someone, they got to tell me the truth. The second thing is, you got to love people. You just got to love them. Love them. How many of some people are hard to love? Come on. How many of you got children? Some I brought you in this world. I'm going to take you out too. You just say, hey, I love you, but, you know, I don't like you. Love. Love is the greatest force in the entire universe. God's love is. We all need the love of a mother. We all need the love of a father. We all need someone to love. If you didn't have a mother or father, the Bible says that, you know, he's a father to the fatherless. So there's trust. There's love. Then there's forgiveness. 
forgiveness. You see, when you're not truthful and you don't love and you don't walk in forgiveness, this is what happens. Kind of like the, the whole scenario of Adam and Eve. God comes in, hey, where you at? First thing they had was fear. Fear. Huh? I'm naked. And then the next thing is they were insecure. And then they hid. God was saying, hey, man, they had a trust. They had a relationship. There was truth. That was broken. But God loved them enough that he would sacrifice an animal. Think about it. And cover them. And many people think, I look at theologians, the very thing that he covered them was with sheep clothing. That's why Abel sacrificed sheep back to God. Lambs. He was willing to forgive. But we see even in the next generation, Cain, his heart is hardened toward the spirit of God. But Abel's soft. And here's the last thing. Is communication. Just communicate. You know when I mess up? When I don't listen. You know the biggest thing I've had to learn in marriage my wife would tell me, baby, you're just not listening. You know why? Because I get distracted. And you go, well, it's because you're ADD. It's because of that. No, it's not because of that. Because if I really care for her, I need to take the time and go, what are you saying? What do you mean? I've learned. Just because she says stuff, doesn't, that's not what she means. How I many men, you, come on. I'm trying to help you. She's just looking for a little cleansing, like, ah, can I get this out? And you're going, and we're trying to solve it. Well, you, baby, if you did X, Y, and Z, I'll take care of it. I don't want that. Well, what do you want? Just need to really listen and say, you're going to be okay. You're going to be all right. It's only taken 28 and a half years, and I'm still learning. I'm telling you, I'm still in the school of learning. And I never want to get to the point where I think I've achieved everything I'm supposed to learn. Because, listen, I started out a dumb man. But I found out, you know, God's helped me out on a few things. But there's some things I'm still kind of ignorant toward. I'll just say this. Someone... When you die and you go to be with God, let me just say this, and I'm going to close, I promise. When you die and you go to be with the Lord, and you go to that funeral, and if that person knew the Lord that died, and we, we're like, oh, I just wish they were here. Come back. We want them back sometime, don't we? If they could come back, they'd say, I don't want to come back. This is good. And God has to give us the grace to walk through, hello, life. You see, sometimes we, get, we call out things, I want that again in my life. I need that again. And we really don't need it. What we need is the power of the living God, the grace of God living inside. See, there's a repentance, I'm sorry. But then there's the grace of God. I forgive. But not only am I going to forgive you, but I'm going to give you the power to be an overcomer. And then we start living in the power and then we begin to hear the Holy Spirit speak to us and then we can hear his voice and then we can act accordingly to the way God wants us to act.
and to live our lives. Amen? And it doesn't just become an idea. It becomes a reality. And the tension you even feel right now in your own soul, in your own heart, is the Holy Spirit working in us to get the best. That we would look to him and go, God, please forgive me for that attitude I had. God, let me walk in love and not pride and selfishness. God, help me. To, to love those that are hard to love. Help me to be truthful with the people that are around me that have been wondering what I've gone through and why I'm feeling this way or why. Let me just be, God, help me to tell the truth. Let me pray for you.